that assurance that we just sang, God will pay my ransom and not leave me. He into glory will receive me. We open God's Word. We read together 2 Timothy, the, the text. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 13. Continuing on from where we were reading in chapter 2. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." It's good to keep your Bibles open with you as we go through this. We're not going to go through every one of those words on the list, but it's good to have that in front of you and reflect on each of those different lists to think about your own life as well. And beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it just happened yesterday that in the summer time you can be sitting in your backyard and it's sunny or maybe it's cloudy, but you... You look in the horizon and there's these big storm clouds coming from over the horizon and they're getting closer and closer to your outdoor gathering. And that's how the difficult times are presented by the Apostle Paul when he wrote to Timothy at the end of his life during a time of great persecution. Although it looked like things were pretty bad for the churches already, Paul knew that things were going to get more difficult for the churches. The storm is coming and it's time to prepare. And the commands in our text, and if you have your, 
your Bible open, you, you can see that the commands in our text are first, in the first five verses, is to understand the times. And then secondly, to avoid people who may deceive us into joining with their folly. That's verses 6 to 8. And then thirdly, in verses 9 to 13, to know the different consequences for those who are deceived by evil people and imposters and for those who desire to live a godly life. Although the warning about what we can expect in our lives is very sobering, and as we read that, it makes us think about our own situation The good news in our text is that when we trust in the Lord, we may share in the victory of Jesus Christ over all evil. That's the gospel I preach to you. The Lord rescues all who desire to live a godly life in Christ. We'll see the the difficult last days and the power of godliness. If you notice chapter 3, verse 1, Paul urges the church to have a very realistic perspective in the last days. Now when Paul talks about the last days, he is referring to the time period between Christ's ascension and his return, like he says in Acts 2 verse 17. As he told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, the time after his departure would be a time when fierce wolves would come in among them, not sparing the flock And he also warned them that in addition to this, false teachers would be arising from right among the congregations of Jesus Christ. Peter and Jude gave similar warnings to Christians about worldly scoffers in the last days. Worldly scoffers without the Spirit who would would follow their own sinful desires. That's 2 Peter 3, verse 3. And then Jude 18 and 19, these same scoffers in the last days who would cause divisions in the church. These are the last days that the Apostle is speaking about, the last days that we continue to to live in, the days before Christ's return. And so the warnings in our text from Timothy, they also continue to be very important for us today. And so we look again at that, that list and we think about what Paul is telling us. And the first thing we can observe is that, is that the difficult, and, and the NIV has the terrible, the terrible part of the last days that Paul mentions are not the, the signs of the end of times that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24. The, the difficult part, the terrible part of the last days, he doesn't list suffering like wars or violence, or diseases, or dictatorships, or economic hardships. He doesn't even mention persecution of Christians. Here he was sitting in prison, awaiting his execution because of his faith, and he doesn't include that in his list of what makes the last days difficult. And the reason for that is that his focus is not on what might make our lives difficult, but his focus is on what, on the many different ways that people will rebel against God and offend him. Although he assures us, verse 12, that we will face persecution, when we are reading the news, we don't identify the the difficult things of the last days by assessing how much events might harm us 
personally, like the burning of churches or picking on Christians or wasting our hard-earned money. But we read the news, the perspective of 2 Timothy 3, thinking about how people offend the Lord by what they are doing. That's difficult. That's a cause for much grief. Even if such selfishness and cruelty and conceit, I'm going through that list, and treachery and unholiness, all those things, even if that takes place behind the closed doors of of their homes and never causes the church any personal grief or, or loss of comfort, sincere Christians will still find these activities of the wicked the difficult things to think about. The terrible times of the last days. It's, it's saddening to see such a, a blatant rebellion against our Heavenly Father over the gracious King like our Lord Jesus experienced Himself and He quoted Psalm 69. He said, Zeal for the Lord consumes me. That's the the feeling of Paul, he says, when zeal for the Lord consumes us, and people who love the Lord, they feel the reproaches of those who reproach the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit teaches us to, to look around the world with that understanding. See the world like your heavenly Father is seeing the world. See the world like God is seeing all that's happening in His creation. It's like like loving parents watching their own beloved children planning a conspiracy to kill them. That's what the Lord is seeing in the world around us. And as we, as we think about that, our hearts go to our neighbors. They do these things in ignorance. It's a terrible thing. It's a part of the, the difficulty of the last days. And then if you look at verses 1 to 5, there's a, there's a long list. There's 19 difficult things that we can expect to see in these last days. As sinful people continue to suppress the truth of God's word in in unrighteousness. The list is similar to Romans 1, verses 29 to 31. And the list of vices is inserted between the the underlying sins that are mentioned in verse 2 and 4. They kind of serve as as an envelope. And those are the, the base sins that cause everything else on the list. And that's the sin of of loving ourselves and our pleasures more than loving God. When people love pleasures for themselves in a selfish way more than they they love God, that can be seen in, in their arrogant belief that they are superior to other people in everything. And now if you have that in your mind and you look back at that list, you can see how that is the cause of this treacherous the cruelty, the, the heartlessness. You can see it in the many un, unkind ways that people treat others. They, they want stuff just for themselves. They're, they're number one. Pleasure before anything else. Anybody takes that pleasure away from us, we're, we're angry. We might even call it persecution. In verse 5, however, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see that all this selfish concern for our own comforts, it actually can infiltrate the church. That's why he warns us to avoid people who are more focused on their own self-preservation and on their own comforts than they are on glorifying God with 
with their lives and, if necessary, their deaths. May the Lord help us as we think about this list. May He help us to, to fight against the temptation to selfishness and to pride, to that conceitedness, the love of money, to cruelty, disobedience to our parents, lack of self-control, hypocrisy. And we pray that He might help us in that fight so that we don't become a part of the problem, the difficulty of the last days. That we don't become the people that Paul told the churches to avoid. That we're not so concerned with ourselves that we cause danger for the church. The apostle especially draws attention to our Christian households. We see that as as he moves on. Verse 6. And the language he uses about bad people creeping in or worming themselves in and, and taking captive reveals the underlying understanding of the Apostle, the Holy Spirit, that households are to be maintained as fortresses for the vulnerable. Your household is to be a safe place in which people can be instructed and made strong. It's a place where, where there's a time where, where we are weak, but we are in a safe place where the Spirit can, can work. And you can see that's the underlying assumption of the exhortation of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a call to, to ensure that our homes remain good and safe places for growing Christians to develop and to process and, and sometimes to, to fall, but then to be brought up by other loving Christians. To process the truth of the, the gospel message, what it looks like in real life. In, in, in that safe place, there may be times where we are burdened with, with sin, and then we need that encouragement to we're pointed to Jesus Christ. We're weak in our homes, our households. And so that warning comes to us. Warning against people who creep into households and capture weak women who are burdened with sins, led astray by sinful passions, unable to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And that warning is directed at those who have been called to protect the members of their households from danger. You could think if you're one of those people, have you been called to protect your household? And this word is, is for you. And then you need to pay attention to that comparison to the, the sneaky household invaders to Janus and Jambres. That's the name given by an early Jewish commentary to the Egyptian magi- magicians who tried to imitate the plagues at the time of the Exodus. And, and they served to illustrate that the church is under attack from those evil men and imposters. They're, they're wannabes, verse 13, who rely on counterfeit miracles in an attempt to deceive the weak, to keep Pharaoh's heart hardened. And if we are any, in any way like the weak women that Paul describes in verse 6, and you don't need to be a, a woman to be burdened by sin and all those things in, in the list, if, if you or I or were anything like those weak w- women and we have not yet unburdened ourselves of our sins by our genuine confession to Jesus Christ, 
We have not done what Psalm 32 is, is talking about, that that hand of, that heavy hand of God has is, is not been lifted because we have not confessed our sins before the Lord and, and we live with that shame and that guilt and that, that burden and wondering if we're, we're good enough and if God can, can love us. And so we're so easily led astray by the, the various passions, the sinful desires that, that are around us. If, if you're facing those things, and if your solution has been to, to cling to, to learning and study, like we looked at several weeks ago, the person who avoids the hard issues by using big words and talking about this church and that church and, and doesn't bring any knowledge of the truth of the Scriptures, if that's your situation, and I think at all times some of us have faced that, then we're in great danger from these deceivers. The command that Paul says is avoid such people. Now we're thinking about our households. We're thinking about the struggles that, that we're facing. And the question is, what kind of people can be compared to Janus and Jambres in our day and age? What kind of people can be compared to the magicians who turned water into blood, adding to the problem, who made more frogs, making a bad situation even, even worse just to show their, their power, so that even as the scourge increased, Pharaoh used their deception as a reason to reject God. What kind of people are like that? What kind of people prey on the vulnerable who are struggling to come to a knowledge of the forgiveness of sins? What kind of people come to mind in your mind? There's many popular teachers out there, sometimes they mislead us. The Holy Spirit is talking about anyone who promises satisfaction, who promises contentment in this life outside of Jesus Christ. Just like those magicians, they were, we can make blood and we can make frogs and we can do everything, but they didn't have God on their side. Anyone who, who provides you with a justification to live an ungodly life, any imposter, anyone corrupted in mind who's disqualified regarding the faith, they might say many good things, but if they don't have Jesus Christ as the answer, they're disqualified concerning the faith. Those are the people that the Holy Spirit is, is warning us against. They pose as teachers with knowledge, but they do not know Jesus Christ. They do not know the forgiveness of sins in, in Christ's blood. Their minds, we read, have been corrupted by, by the devil who uses them actually as snares to capture people. So they do His will and, and rebel against God and don't receive Christ as their answer. They, they may be the false teachers among our Themselves who call themselves Christians. They may be the wolves that Paul warned about threatening us from the outside. But Paul says, whoever they are, brothers and sisters, avoid them. Not by leaving the world, but by watching the doors of your homes. The sins of the world can cause harm in the church if we let these worldly teachings creep into our homes unchecked. 
How, many, how much of the literature, how much of the, of the podcasts are we listening to that aren't Christ-centered? That are giving you the, the imitation, the, the, the impression of wisdom, but actually are very far from it. Do you know who is coming into your households and speaking to you and to your children, and to your grandchildren, whether they're coming in through the front door or through the ideas that are being put into their heads and snuck into the house like a Trojan horse, or through the, the digital portals. We have more and more of those streaming into our homes. Oh, may God help us to be alert and aware to see their folly what comes of those who do not have Christ when it's revealed as we seek to live this life in all godliness. And you'll notice in verse 5 that Paul understands another underlying truth. He talks about having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. So the, the starting point here is that godliness has power. Dynamite. Paul presents his own life as an example of godliness in verses 10 to 11. And then we can see that godliness is something that is, when he speaks about that, he's, he's talking about something that's visible in all aspects of our life. In the reading, we talked about training, physical trainings of some value. Godliness is a value for this life and for the, the life to come. So that godliness is not just what we believe to be true, but also how we conduct our lives. Look at the, the list that Paul gives. How we conduct our lives, our aims, our attitudes, our character, and the consequences of our faith. Godly people correctly handle the, the word of truth when they teach others. But they also conduct their lives with self-control according to God's commandments. They're the, the people who continually take hold of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, chapter 1, verse, verse 2. They have an enduring faith. Now the important thing to notice is that godliness only has power when we submit to God in every part of our lives. So, so godliness speaks of, of God's work within us becoming evident in everything that, that we do. So in this world that's full of temptations and difficult times, in contrast, we have the Christian that has this true godliness where God is evident in the very behavior and in everything that we do and say. God is shining through the godly. Godliness is stepping aside from your love of self and looking down and seeing God's work in you and rejoicing in, in Him as He carries you through this life according to His mission, to His mandate. Godliness is being an instrument for God's purposes and taking yourself and your own comforts and all those concerns out of the picture. And the difference between merely having the appearance of godliness and actually being godly is seen in a person's patience with the weakness of others. So Paul talks about a person's self-sacrificial love for the people around them. 
a person's steadfastness and endurance, even when they face that inevitable opposition of the devil whose attacks verify the genuineness of our desire to live a godly life. And there's a close connection as Paul is talking about godliness. He needs to say in verse 12, he needs to talk to that point. The reality is there is a connection between godliness, God shining through you in the world, and persecution. And so the Holy Spirit tells us whoever desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That word persecuted has the sense of of being pursued, having opposition. If you want to live a godly life, if God is shining through you in the way you speak and your aim and your conduct and your priorities, then you will be a target for everyone who is opposed to God and opposed to His Word. In fact, you can even use whether or not you are being pursued or opposed by unbelievers as an indication of the the truth of your your godliness. Paul himself experiences in a very very real way. He lists the three cities, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. You can read more about that in Acts 13 and 14. People who do not like God's morals revealed in the commandments, people who do not like that attitude of the citizens of the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ revealed in Matthew 5, they will oppose everyone who who teaches them. And sometimes this opposition is visible and obvious, and sometimes it's subtle and patient, but the devil's hatred is so predictable that it can be written down in Scripture as a statement of fact. Whoever desires to live a godly life will face this opposition. And that's important to recognize so that we don't get surprised by the cost of following our Lord who was crucified for His godliness out of His love for His neighbor. But it's also important to remember that in the context, there's this persecution, this opposition, because God, the divine, is shining through us. That, that conclusion, that they're not going to get very far. Their folly of opposing God in his church, it'll be evident to all. And, and you can just imagine Janus and Jambres as, as they're imitating the miracles and then they, they can't. And then all of a sudden, they're suffering the, the very boils. It got worse and worse. And, 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 and you can see Pharaoh like, You guys are fools. It just became evident. Who are you to oppose God? And so Paul says the same will happen to to Christians. We grieve our persecution, not because we're afraid of it, or because we don't see the glory of being considered worthy of suffering for Jesus Christ, but we grieve persecution because that means there's people that are so filled with hatred against God, that they're willing to even hurt those who follow Jesus Christ. And again, as we see it, we're we're compelled to speak the hope of the gospel into the darkness. Godliness connects a person to God himself. As God shines in our hearts and through us to those around us, then that godliness is a very strong comfort to us. That's why Paul can speak with such confidence from his prison cell. 
Previous to this letter, he had been persecuted many times, but God wanted him to, to keep preaching, so he kept getting free. Sometimes stoned, he would get back up, stoned by rocks, just to be clear. And then he got back up and he, and he kept on, on preaching. And now he's, he's in prison and he says, well, the Lord delivers me from them all. And what does he mean? He, he's saying that, that God is going to deliver him even from death. He's not afraid of death. It's not about Paul. It's not about us. And that's the power of godliness. We have that connection to God. And so that our prayer is that we might submit to him in every part of our lives and stop loving ourselves and pleasures and turning from, from our, our, our money and turning from getting things our way and committing ourselves completely to the Lord. Not just an appearance of patience and kindness, but, but a true trust. And God says, if you live that way, I'll deliver you from all hardships. Even if you have to die to be delivered, I will deliver you from all hardships. So may God help us to be courageous in persecutions and patient in sorrows, obedient in conduct, even when we face all the the temptations around us, public about our aim in life, that we desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. May every one of your friends and every one of your neighbors know that. And God will deliver us from all harm. Amen.